I want to read a couple of places. First, I want to read a verse in Romans 8. Again, we were there this morning, and then I'm going to flip over to Genesis 22. May the Holy Spirit help us in our infirmity here to relate in our souls to what we know by faith to be true. There's nothing new that I'm going to be. You ought to be thankful there's nothing new that I'm going to be delivering to you, but because it's the same, same solid truth that for 2,000 years God's people have been gathering together around remembering, you know, so. But there's fresh ways of saying it, and there's, and then there's fresh ways in which it comes to our souls, too, you know, the same truth coming to our souls. And that's what we desire. Um, we're a church of redeemed sinners, and. What we're remembering tonight is 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 who and and what is the reason for our redemption? Who and what? Who who did what he did and who he is today? And it's all dependent on on him. So in Romans eight, <clears throat> I think I spoke on this recently. <clears throat> I'm not really going to delve much into the verse, but. We'll be coming back to it after Genesis 22. uh, Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son. That word spare could be the idea He didn't abstain. He didn't hold back His own Son. That's probably the most familiar way to, to, to read that. But it's also the idea of he didn't hold back or he wasn't lenient. He didn't treat his son leniently. Okay? He wasn't easy on his own son. He he did not spare his own son. And he who did... He who did that or did not do that, but delivered him up for us all. You can hear the the contrast there, but delivered him up for us all. And then the question, how shall he not with him also freely, graciously give us all things? And that reminds me of Genesis 22. And I think that what we have in Genesis 22 is a foreshadowing of what is expressed in Romans 8.32, the fulfillment for all the spiritual seed of Abraham. So 2,000 years earlier, something happened. And I I just want to read the account. I know the first 10 or 11 verses There are thoughts, at least, I don't know how you can read those verses and not think thoughts related to what we just read. But really, the first 10 or 11 verses are are the test for Abraham. Abraham's faith is tested and he's passing the test. Okay, so that really is what the first 10 or 11 verses are about. And then verses 12 or excuse me, 13 and 14 as well, 12 through 14. I think there is where we really see the foreshadowing of what we just read. And so let me just read it with you. And, and my, what, what, a, what a scene here. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. So how do we know that this was a test? 
pretty obvious, right? I love it when the scripture is that plain. Uh, but yes, yeah, a test. He tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And of course, if you're, as you're reading that, you are, I assume like me, thinking, well, that just sounds like the father and the son, you know, the father and the son, the love, his only son, the one he loved. Go, right, to the mountain. It just sounds that way. And I, I think it's right for us to think that way. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. You know, Abraham had been thinking the whole time. This is a test, remember. I mean, he had three days to imagine what's going on here, you know. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. That's an interesting statement. There's a lot of people who really speak very, uh, say very harsh things about this account. But when you read it, you read the faith of Abraham. He had confidence that he was coming back with his son. Uh, Hebrews tells us that he knew. He knew that God could raise him from the dead, right? So he, he was functioning. I, 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 so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And what, what did Christ, I mean, aren't you, you're seeing kind of the parallels here. And, and I, I, I've struggled with this because I don't know exact, that that's exactly what we should be thinking, but I can't help but think that because Christ bore the wood upon his back. He took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. So there's no exact parallels here. Just thoughts that come to our mind as we read it. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. Jesus prayed, didn't he? To his father. In the garden. And on the cross. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And even in the garden, you can kind of sense that Jesus is. Is there any way, Father, right? Is there any way we can avoid this? Is there some other way? Abraham said, my son. God will provide for Himself the Lamb for a burnt offering. There's that expression of faith again. Now, of course, there's no parallel though with Jesus, with Jesus, is it? Because Jesus, the Father, didn't say to the Son, I'll provide a substitute for you. So here's where the story kind of shifts. The scene shifts. Okay. 
So the two of them went together. So they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And who called to him? Who called to him? Verse 11. The, I don't know if yours is capitalized or not, but I think it should be. The angel of the Lord. Not always. But who is most often the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? It's the Son of God. So the, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. The angel of the Lord knew that he knew that he was going to be Isaac, really, right? He said, do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So you see, there's the test there. So the test is ended. And then Abraham lifted his eyes. And looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord... It shall be provided. And it was. And it was. Offered up for a burnt offering instead of his son. God spared not his own son. The ram parallels with the son here, doesn't it? But delivered him up for, in behalf of us all, in behalf of Isaac, but Isaac was spared. The ultimate promised seed of Abraham was not. We were spared because God spared not his own son. And he called the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And so He did. The Lord provided His own Son in the place of you and me. And this is our God. And the argument of the Apostle Paul is, if He did that, there ain't nothing He won't do for you. What the Father has given to make sinners like you and me, His children and His treasure, should be sufficient. And I'm speaking to myself here as much, maybe more so than some of you, maybe maybe not all of you. But it should be sufficient to assure our hearts that He is for us. And that's what Paul says. 
If God be for us, who can be against us? Right. We, we hear that and say, yes, but, but what's the proof of that? What's the evidence of that? He spared not his own son. But delivered him up. You know that word delivered up is the same word that is used in reference to Judas betraying Jesus? It's kind of strange that a word like that would be used here like that, but that's exactly what happened. He was betrayed. The son of perdition. Who ordained those things? He delivered him up for us all. And that is sufficient for our, to assure our hearts that He's for us and that He will provide all things that sustain us now and brings us to eternal glory. So not sparing His own Son stands as the ultimate proof that He will not spare anything that is necessary for our life now and forever. Now and forever. If you're in a tough spot right now, believer, this is a promise here. And so, brethren, today we remember the Lord's provision. We do so as ones who are actually in union with Him who was not spared. You notice he says, he uses that expression in verse 32. He says, how shall He not with Him? I don't think the idea is just simply that Him separated from. The idea is we are with Him. In other words, we're joined with Him. With Him. Also freely give us... It's, it's because we have that relationship. We, we, we call it union with Christ. In the mind of God, we, we died and arose with Him. We're united with the very provision of Jehovah. So union with Christ, it's, it's a difficult, it's difficult. I've been, I've been seeking to wrap my mind around it for years. It's a familiar expression. As you may already know, I may have already told you before, but maybe you've read it somewhere, but at least 200 times in the New Testament, you're going to find in Him, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, with Him, with Christ, the union language over. In fact, you know that you're only called Christian or not you. The word Christian is used only three times in all the New Testament. And yet, that's typically what we refer to ourselves as. In the first century, they referred to themselves as in Christ. It was somebody else who called them Christian. That was a derogatory expression. Which has caught on and has become a good expression. We should use it. There's nothing wrong with it. But in Christ. Union with Christ. But it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, we need to have our minds wrapped around it and it around us. But the problem is it isn't physical. But just because it's not physical doesn't mean it's not real. And it is our hope of eternal life. And so, and what, so whether you understand it or not, it's so if you're a believer in Jesus. You are united. You are with Him. But brethren... There is 
no more comforting reality that the Spirit reveals to our souls than to know I am in Him and He is in me. Now, if you're going through something, a trouble, a trouble spot, would you turn your mind to that? Would you turn your heart? Would you just say, I am one with you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, help me to help me to realize that right now. And I think that ought to be our daily mindset. But especially when you're going through some sort of difficulty. What joy fills the soul when the Spirit brings this to light within you. Life's troubles are put in their proper perspective when we sense our union with Christ. I am one with you as you partake of these elements. Say that to yourself. Speak to yourself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? You're one with Christ. You're one with Christ. I'm not saying chide yourself. I'm not saying get angry, upset at yourself. I'm saying remind yourself of that, of what you know to be true, but you're not sensing it. Well, apart from union with Him, whom we remember today, we are isolated from the living God. And we're left to ourselves. What an awful thought. Separated from the Son. Think about it. Separated from, in fact, the rest of what Paul writes here, and the questions that he asks from verses 33 to 35 would have a very different answer if this were not so. Or maybe I should say it. If we were not with Him, if we were not in union with Him, there would be a very different answer when He says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, if we're not in union with Christ, there would be all kinds of charges. The assumed answer is, well, no one. Right? But if you're not with Him, if you're not in union with Him, why, the list is long. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? Well, they would line up, wouldn't they, in the day of judgment to condemn you. But in Christ, there is there is no one. You're in union with Him. You're with Him. Who shall, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, you're with Him, not nothing. But if you're not in union with Him, You're already separated from the love of Christ in this redemptive sense. But because God did not spare His own Son, you really need to meditate on that. And I do too, more than in just this service here. But He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? That's the question. How shall He not? What's the answer? He will. He must. 
our security in this life and provision in this life for everything that is necessary now and then into eternity depends upon this. It depends upon Him, not just this. Upon Him. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend upon me. And oh, thank God that this is so. And this is not only true for you individually. Oh, it is. Paul said, what do you say? I am or I have, depends on your translation. I am or I have been crucified with Christ. I he didn't say we, he said I. So there is personal. There's a personal. This is a personal thing. No, no doubt about that. But I think for, for us, we need to think of this in this context, as a matter that relates to us as a body of believers. Our Western individualism, I think, has affected us to the point of spoiling the sense of the significance of our union with Christ. You know, we we live in a I'll have it my way generation, a culture. I don't know that it's always been that way in, in this country, but, but we need to remember that God has saved us in community. I'm not talking about community Baptist church. I'm talking about in, in community, right? We are one in Him. Not just I am one with Him. We are one in Him. This is expressed as we partake of the one bread. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, For we, though many, are one bread and one body. That's why we have the one loaf here. I know not everybody does it that way, but to me it's significant. We don't drink from one cup because I don't see that. I, I, I see the one bread, which symbolizes the one body. And I'm not going to break fellowship over this sort of thing, you know, but I'm just saying that's... That's why we do do it the way we do it. For we all partake of that one bread. So as we partake together tonight, let's set our minds upon Him in whom we are united individually and corporately by the Spirit who joins us together as one. With Him. With Him. The Beloved. With Him. You understand? I know. I believe you. I, I don't want to presume too much. I'm pretty sure everybody understands this. That the only way that we are accepted by God is in the Beloved. Ephesians chapter 1. Not apart from the Beloved. In Him. With Him. With Him. With Him. We are one with God. We're one with God. With Him. Everything we need in this life and that which is to come is provided. Everything. I must remember that. Everything. With Him. The Father has committed Himself to His Son. And all who are in Him, the Father has committed Himself. This is an everlasting, eternal matter. Committed Himself. What we're, what we're experiencing now is the outworking of what God 
always intended And He is interceding for us at this very moment before His Father who loves us. I I love, I love when that thought comes to my mind in prayer as I pray that, that you are interceding for, you know what I'm dealing with. You are interceding for me. I have access. You see, that's the way we ought to relate to our God. Who loves us. Our Father loves us. Our Father didn't begin to love us at the cross or after the cross or after we believe. You get that and you heard that this morning. What we, what we have in Christ is the flowing forth of the heart of, of God. It was God who so loved that He gave. It wasn't God gave so the Son could twist God's arm into loving us. That's not the way it works. We, we know that, I trust. But we had to have a high priest. We had to have an intercessor. Didn't we? We couldn't just march into His presence. We're stained. We're, sin, we're sinners. We're, we couldn't. He provided Jehovah Jireh. And if He did that with the price that He paid, He's bought everything else with that same price. Everything in life now and that which is to come. That's who we're remembering tonight. I trust that as we remember Him together, there will be some measure of quietness, peace, rest, joy that would stir up in our souls. This is not a funeral. We remember a risen Savior. We remember His death. But this is not the funeral. 